Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. I wrote the new three R's in education, respect, responsibility, and relationships, 15 years ago. At the time, it was difficult for teachers, parents, and administrators to buy into this philosophy. With the events over the past many years, I believe that this book has more meaning now than ever. I'll be sharing chapters of this book during the next 10 episodes of Anti-Bullying 101 with commentary and ask that you take a good hard look at the state of society, education, and our culture and consider what you hear, and use the philosophy to facilitate change. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. We're in the process of covering Chapter 5 in the new three R's in education. And in this chapter, we talk about compromises. Now, I covered five of those compromises in the last episode. Right now, I'm going to be covering Compromises 6 through 10, The title of the chapter was 40 Years of Small Compromises, and we have made some compromises over the course of the last 40 years to the detriment of our students, at times our children, maybe our culture and society as well. So as I go through these, I'm going to be doing a little bit of reading, but I'm going to be doing a lot of commentary for you to get a feel for this, because this is something that's critical to understand as we move forward. It is the little foxes that spoil the vine. And when we make small compromises, it doesn't take long before those small compromises become bigger. It's almost like drinking a milkshake every single day. You may gain, you know, a few ounces initially, but when you begin to look at the overall uh, effect of poor diet in your life, what happens is you realize that at the end of a year, you may have gained 50 pounds just from one small compromise. So listen in as we begin to go over compromises 6 through 10. 
Everyone has plenty of reasons for their behavior, but there are no excuses. At the time of this writing, there was a show that was on TV called Court TV, and I believe it's changed. It changed uh, several years ago to something that's called True TV. But they actually allowed cameras into the courtroom, and you could rec- and you could actually watch court cases right on TV. And when I was watching these, met some many years ago, 15 years ago, I used to love listening to the defense attorney's arguments. I used to enjoy listening to how he would, you know, come up with all kinds of excuses to explain why the person on trial committed the crime. The defendant couldn't even have, could have even confessed to the crime and the defense attorney would still find some circumstance that caused the person to commit the crime. In essence, to excuse the crime. Now, one of the shows I watched had a 15-year-old kid named Christian Pittman on trial for killing his grandparents two years earlier. This young man shot his grandparents in their sleep at close range with a shotgun put the leash on the dog, walked out of the trailer that they lived in, doused the trailer with gasoline, lit the trailer on fire, got into the grandparents' pickup, and drove away. Now, this this um, trial went on for weeks, and I watched most, I watched most of it. I watched most of this trial. And as the defense attorney was beginning to run out of ammunition, he decided to play a card that is really was very common. And it was used to help excuse the behavior, excuse the deviance that this young man exhibited. The defense attorney contended that the reason this boy committed this heinous crime was because he had an adverse reaction to Zoloft, which was an antidepressant and still is an antidepressant drug. And he was taking it at the time. Now, I sat on the edge of my seat and waited for the verdict. I was thinking that if a person can be found innocent for murder because of a medication issue, anyone can get away with anything. Now, the bottom line here is the... The prosecuting attorney said Zoloft is not on trial here. This is, has nothing to do with Zoloft. It has to do with the crime that this kid committed. And sometimes I get amazed at how family, environment, genetics, medication, or lack of it can be used as an excuse for behavior these days, which was 15 years ago. Once these factors are considered, the cause of deviant behavior, the person who committed the crime or who behaved inappropriately will not be held responsible. So it follows that they should be excused for these behaviors, in other words, not be held accountable. Ultimately, people should be held accountable for their actions and consequences must be imposed. And by people, I could easily be talking right now a child that's five years old. 
a consequence, a solid consequence, the only thing that will stop negative and deviant behavior, such as talking back, not completing homework, bullying, lying, speeding, sexual harassment, stealing, rape, murder, etc. The only thing that stops deviance is consequence. Now, we've reached a point where as soon as parents have trouble managing their child's behavior or the school makes them aware that their child is acting inappropriately, sometimes they fall back on a condition. The problem with falling back on, the con- on a condition is we have, dis- as we discussed in our last podcast, the condition, okay, is something that can be used for um, deviant behavior as well. In other words, he has something wrong with him. Children need to be held responsible. It's so much easier to blame a school, a teacher, an administrator, guidance counselor, or a condition when kids act up. Now, as a school administrator, I observe deviant behavior, and I've done my best to hold students accountable. I just didn't look at the students' isolated behavior at the time, but considered what would happen if the behavior continued, and how would it affect the students' chances for success as an adult. This is critical. This is a critical piece. And I think that we need to really consider it. If we don't consider what will happen further down the road, okay, we're going to excuse certain behaviors strictly because of the fact that it's easier to, to sometimes to excuse a behavior than to put up with a crying kid or an aggressive kid. We must look at the behavior in terms of how bad it could get once the person becomes an adult. Now, I was working as a principal of a school for clinically disturbed students in 1993. And these students were just depressed, psychotic, some of them were on medication. And when I took over the school, there was no system of accountability. So I instituted an in-school suspension program that was used as a means of keeping students in school for offenses they would otherwise be suspended for. One morning, a student came into school late and proceeded to kick out a window, punch a teacher, tear down hallway decorations and bulletin boards, and was screaming so loud you could hear him in the next county. Well, this kid was pretty upset, obviously. He was brought into my office, and I said to him, Nick, I changed his name, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, but for now, take a seat in in-school suspension. After about five minutes of, of in-school suspension, a therapist walked into my office, who, and she was furious, and she said to me, You have Nick in in in-school suspension. My comment to her was, yes, I have him in in in-school suspension. Have you taken a look at my building? And her comment to me was, did you know that Nick didn't have any breakfast this morning? I said to her, I haven't had any coffee yet, but I'm still talking to you. And then I asked her to leave the office. 
Did it really matter that Nick didn't have breakfast? Of course not. What really mattered was that Nick, if he, if, if he was not disciplined for the inappropriate behavior, he would definitely repeat the behavior again. I thought about what I was going to do with the student. Well, I knew that he had to be suspended, but I also knew that I had to begin to work on developing a relationship around Nick's behavior so that he wouldn't repeat it again. So at about 10.30, I walked down to in-school suspension and I brought a bagel and an orange juice. I told Nick that he should have breakfast before he comes to school. But if he didn't, he should come into my office and I would get him something to eat. Now, Nick had to be suspended for 10 days. Police charges were filed. He had to write a letter of apology. And had there been reason for his unreasonable behavior, had there been reason for this behavior? He had a reason, but having a reason wasn't an excuse for what he did. If I had bought into excusing his behavior because he was hungry, Nick would have gotten away with what happened. But I didn't. I imposed consequences. Nick's behavior changed that year. He tried to raise the bar with his angry and violent behavior, and I decided to raise my bar with consequences. It not only worked for him, but the school took a real turn for the better with the student body realizing that this type of behavior wasn't going to be tolerated. These are the things that I talk about. I really believe that this missing piece, this is a missing piece in dealing with deviance. At times we can be too compassionate and understanding and we lose sight of the fact that everyone must follow the rules. And that includes rules of a family, a school, society, a job. And if we continue to allow everything under the sun to be excused and decide that consequences are, the, are for the birds, then we can expect our problems with inappropriate behavior in school and deviant behavior in our society to continue and get worse. This is something that I've spoken about on more than one occasion. If, in fact, as a parent or a teacher, you don't discover the correct consequence for certain behaviors, the behavior will continue. And that include, includes bullying, disrespect, irresponsibility, whatever the behavior is that you want, you have to ask yourself, what consequence will work with this kid? We almost have to have an individualized behavior management program with consequences that work. This will change the way behavior is in school, society, and in the home. The next compromise that I have is, can you handle the truth? Everybody has a problem with the truth. I don't mean we should walk around lying all the time, but we're always afraid of hurting someone's feelings or becoming entangled in some sort of confrontation with some person. You know, the bottom line is, if you're speaking the truth, you're on solid ground. 
Sometimes we're concerned about someone's reaction, so we bend the truth and poke around trying to figure out what that person wants to hear. You've heard of that, I'm sure. Politicians tend to do that quite a bit. It really starts to become a problem in personal relationships when couples are afraid to make their desires known for fear of a breakup or a divorce. If you set your boundaries and make them clear, and and you know that a person is going to love you even though you have boundaries, once again, you're on solid ground. People can have a problem with the truth on the job, you know, like when a supervisor might, you know, worry about an employee's reaction to a poor performance evaluation. Somebody's the boss, they make some constructive suggestion, the employee reacts, and all of a sudden the supervisor's frightened of the employee. In education, a teacher might be worried about a student or a parent's reaction and then could easily award grades that are not in line with the student's performance. Many years ago, my high school guidance counselor called me down to his office and pulled out my grades. And he said to me, what do you want to do when you get through with high school? I told him that I didn't know. And then in in, in the next breath, thinking that I had to tell him something other than the truth, that I wanted to be a bartender because we owned the bar. I told him I wanted to be a lawyer. A lawyer, he said, pointing to my grades. These are not lawyers' grades. If I were you, I'd start thinking about doing something else. You know, I walked out of the office and I wasn't the least bit upset. Didn't bother me at all. I didn't even think about going home and telling my dad that my guidance counselor said I wasn't smart enough to be a lawyer. I never said one word to my father. You know what? The guy had actually told me the truth, and the truth really did set me free. I started to look honestly at my abilities and was able to acknowledge that I hadn't worked hard or put my best foot forward academically for my first three years of high school. I started to think about my future realistically. My guidance counselor made me take a good hard look in the mirror and come to terms with my abilities and my attitude. He told me the truth, and I appreciated that. Well, part of the problem was my dad wanted me to go to college, and you've all heard the story. I applied, and I went. Yeah, and I I got into college, never thinking I would, My freshman year in college, I had a 1.1, a 1.1 cumulative average, and I was on the verge of getting thrown out of school. That's the way it worked. I had to begin to rethink my efforts once again. The other thing that comes with this is the idea that we have come up with a line that says, I like you, but I don't like, I don't like your behavior. Let's face it, folks. Certain behaviors are unlikable, and the person that exhibits them may be unlikable as well. And my suggestion here is to come clean with the fact that you may not like a kid or a person, because sometimes we get treated with such disrespect by kids it can be sickening. 
and ask yourself if you would want to hang around with a person that treated you that way as an adult and you know what the answer would be. The bottom line is we have to speak the truth. We have to make people aware of the truth and we have to be prepared to have what I call productive conflict. Kids have to hear it. I had one kid come into my office many years ago and, and I asked him what he wanted to do for a living and he said he wanted to be a doctor. And, you know, I took one look at his grades, one look at his board scores and I knew right off the bat he wasn't going to be my doctor. I had to tell him the truth that his efforts, his grades and his board scores weren't enough and he better go take a look at what the requirements are for pre-med because with that in mind once he realizes what they are maybe he could begin to work a little harder the truth does set you free and we have to speak the truth and we have to tell the truth and we have to do it in a kind way kind considerate and caring way so people understand exactly where we stand and they then, they then can either modify behavior or work harder in order to have a, a relationship with us or me, okay, and they will be able to realize what type of effort they have to put in in order to do well. We have gone through a process today where we have inflated grades beyond measure. This grade inflation is something that needs to stop because kids will discover just how smart or how much ability they have down the road. They'll discover it. The problem comes in is they discover it too late when they believe that everything is going great and they think that they're smarter than what they really are. Tell the truth. The compromise is we don't tell the truth. We have bent the truth or given kids an idea that they're smarter or more well-behaved than they really are. Illustration eight, who will parent the parents? Well, I got, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I, I look back at my childhood and I remember how my grandmother on my mom's side spent time at my house. To this day, she's still the sweetest old lady that I ever met. And I was in an afternoon kindergarten program and my grandmother took care of me during the mornings. Every morning I would wake up and she was sitting in a big chair right next to my bed. As soon as I opened my eyes, she'd be there, she'd wave and smile. And I felt so secure seeing her in that chair. I loved her a lot. I really did. My dad's mom lived right up the street, and when I became old enough, I used to walk over to her house, have lunch with her, do some grocery shopping, and just hang around with her. And she'd give me a buck for helping her out. I saved those dollars and I was able to buy Christmas presents for my sister and my mom and dad. Unfortunately, my dad's mom passed away when I was 13, and you know, I still miss her to this day. My mom's man pa mom passed away when I was 19, 
And that was another big loss in my life that I still feel. Those were two really nice women. They really were. They treated me wonderfully. And in reality, it doesn't matter how old you are. You still need parenting. Just because someone's grown and married doesn't mean that they still don't need guidance and direction. I watched my maternal grandmother help my mom deal with things all the time. Whether it was raising her kids or dealing with my dad, my mom always spoke to her and sought her advice. When she died, it was almost as if the wheels fell off. And she started to stumble through life and always seemed to be looking for answers to some of life's most basic questions. She seemed to have greater difficulty being married to my dad and seemed angry at times until the day she died. When my dad's mom died, I noticed that he would drink more. He'd go off on benders for a few days. It was almost like he lost his check valve and didn't feel accountable to anyone. This is a case, my friends. I mean, if you look at Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, you know, was in check when his dad was alive. Once Tiger Woods' dad died, his wheels fell off as well, and he was an adult. He was a professional golfer, maybe the greatest of all time, And his wheels fell off. Marital problems, drug and alcohol problems, you name it, he had it. And he's making a comeback now. But once his dad died, he had all kinds of trouble. I'm 65 years old and I've been a teacher and an administrator for over 40 years. And after working with and talking to countless parents, I've drawn the following conclusion. Parents need parenting. Adult parents who believe that they don't need parenting compromise and don't look at the benefits that their parents can have in their life. It's just that simple. Ask yourself sometime, how long has it been since you spoke to your mom or dad? You know, I had a, a teacher, a parent come into my office and she was sharing with me the difficulties that she was having or that she had with some of her children. And I says, have you ever spoken to your parents about this? And her comment to me was, I haven't spoken to them in 10 years. 10 years. What could have possibly gone that wrong? No matter what the age, parents need to be parented. Some individuals who have a poor relationship with their parents lose their grip on right and wrong behaviors and tremendous have tremendous problems trying to figure out some of life's most basic problems. It is something that we need to look at, we need to really take stock of. When the phone rings, when your cell phone rings today, and you see that it's your mother or your father, do you take a deep breath and say, oh, no, not again? Or do you say, oh, good, I'll get to talk to mom or dad? 
it is a known fact that if a if a person has difficulty with their parents, they're gonna have difficulty dealing with their own children. Parents are a human resource that all adults need, and we should work and try and discover ways that we could have a better relationship with them. I know sometimes you can't forget what happened when you were a kid, but you need to, and you need to make sure that your parents know that they know that it means a lot it means a lot to you to have them as parents. There's a song there's a song called Old Man by Neil Young. It doesn't mean that much to me to mean that much to you. Don't ever let your parents begin thinking that because the pain that they will experience as they grow older will be more than they can bear. Parents need parenting and we need to step in and we need to realize that. And if you're working with kids in school today, realize this. The young parents that you work with have older who have, have their parents. And if they're having trouble with their parents, do yourself a favor and, and try and become aware of it and do what you can to help amend that relationship because it'll make your job much easier moving forward. Sometimes... Sometimes we don't appreciate some of the things that our parents actually do. My dad, this is illustration nine, which is life-changing words from a father. Sometimes we don't realize the tough upbringing that they had. We don't. Sometimes we have difficulty realizing, you know, that what their life may have been like if you were like me, my, my parents lived through the Depression. My father was in World War II. He had all kinds of difficulty. He had trouble with his mother. He had trouble with his father. He had trouble with, you know, my, uh, with my mother. All kinds of problems ensued. My dad was hypercritical. Hypercritical. I couldn't do one thing right. And it took one event in my life. And if you're a parent and you have been hypercritical with your children, consider, consider taking the time to sit down and evaluate that and discover what you can do to make sure that your children know just how much you mean to them. One summer evening, I was playing baseball my dad had come to the game. He was out there, you know, in the stands. He came with my cousin. And remember, I heard nothing good from my father over the years. I got, I had a tremendous game. Three hits, drove in the winning run, threw guys out at second base as a catcher. Unbelievable game. I went home with my friends. My father took my cousin home. Me and my friends decided we'd get something to eat. We got something to eat. We hung out for a while. I went home. Dad wasn't around. He was either working or sleeping or something. I walk into the house, go to bed, get up the next morning, leave the house, 
don't come back until four o'clock in the afternoon. And this is when my father normally was taking his break. He was taking his break from opening the bar, being downstairs all day. He needed a break in the afternoon because he knew he had to go down and close the bar. Well, he would normally nap in some soft clothes like sweatpants or something like that. But today, when I came home, I didn't find him sleeping in a chair. I didn't find him in soft clothes. I found him impeccably dressed in a chair waiting for me. And when I walked through the door, he ran over to me and he said to me, I was so proud of you last night. And you want to talk about an event that, in my mind, made history. You want to talk about an event that knocked the scales from my eyes. And I saw my father for who he really was. And he was a kind gentleman who just had it tough. Am I ex excusing his behavior? Of course not. But he did his best at that point to try and mend it. And we have to look at our parents and we have to begin to realize who they are, what they are, where they came from, and sometimes get a better understanding of the difficulties that they have. That comment my dad made to me, I was so proud of you last night, sticks with me to this day. And I've told you before, I'm 65 years old. Let's make sure we take a good hard look at who our parents really are and do what we can to appreciate them as they grow older because you can't turn back the clock. All you can do is try and survive some of the difficulty that you had or, you, or that you had with your parents and begin and, and begin to heal from it and begin to forgive, even though I know it's very hard to forget. Compromise number 10, ladies and gentlemen. Fear is the greatest motivator. Kids don't fear anything today at all. I'll say it again, I never wanted to go to college. I, thought I, I never thought I was smart enough. And, of course, my father had different ideas for me. He told me I was going. Basically, I wanted to take over the family business, and we all know what that was. It was a bar. After all, in my senior year in high school, I was taking classes like Chinese literature, woodshop, and any other elective I can get my hands on. And how would any college accept me? I made a deal with my father that I'd apply to three colleges, and if I got in any one of them, I'd go. So I applied to a junior college, a state school, and to some school in the backwoods of Virginia. They all accepted me. So I went to a state school. I think I mentioned this, but I'll say it again. My first semester, my cumulative average was around a one. That's a D. I got a letter from the college telling me that they were going to throw me out of the school. 
I took the letter home to my father and showed it to him. He looked at me and he said, you're going to have to do better because I'm selling the bar. Well, I ended up graduating from college and with a lot of help from a lot of people with a 2.9 GPA, and if you do the math, that's a lot of A's. What motivated me? Fear, with a capital F. I had to do it. There was no safety net. Yeah, I was afraid, scared, and a lot of other things, but you know what, I did it. I worked with a great psychiatrist one time. And he made the most unbelievable statement to me that you could ever imagine. He said, Jim, before you can really d discipline a kid, before anyone can be disciplined, there has to be a healthy fear. And he didn't mean a fear of physical punishment, but a fear of disappointing someone or maybe even a fear of a strong reaction. I think the word that's gotten lost most today is respect. And you know, I'll usually respect what I fear. Do kids today have a healthy fear of adults? Do they respect adults or one another? Kids today believe that they can say and do what they want, when they want. And it's time to begin to instill a healthy fear again into our kids and to make them shudder at the idea that they might disappoint someone. I'm sick of apathy, and believe it or not, if it wasn't for fear, I wouldn't even be writing these essays right now. Ten compromises in Chapter 5 of the new three R's in education. We're revisiting it with these podcasts right now. My name's Jim Burns. I ask that you consider some of the things that are being said in these podcasts and really take into consideration what you can do to facilitate lasting change. I'm going to put the book up on the ep in the episode description. Anyone who would like a copy of it, please download it. I'm going to put my store back up on the um, in the episode description. I ask that you shop there for your anti-bullying and behavior management needs. And I'm going to ask that you please donate. Donate. It's there. These podcasts don't run themselves. They take time, energy, and at times money. My name's Jim Burns. I am in New Jersey doing this podcast. If you heard some rumbling in the background, I'm having solar panels installed on my roof so that... I can conserve energy and lower my electric bill. So I apologize if you heard some rumbling that was going on. The weather is a little bit cloudy today here, but the day is still good. It's a wonderful day. And I said to my wife, Pat, this morning, I'm vertical, meaning I'm standing up and that's a good thing. The day's a little cloudy, but things are all good. And I'm letting you all know, please remember that you need to carry your own weather around with you. 
Once again, my name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.